Oh. And then her whole thing is she just just puts on the socialist goggles and says, well, if I was a judge, I would just say none of those are cakes because who am I to keep somebody from $10,000? They all deserve Oh, it. God. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting up and down North America. Also available there on your podcast apps. Thanks so much for joining us. We are the premier program for lifestyle, freedom, innovative technology, and smart policy. I'm one half of your host, Yael Lasowski, broadcasting from inflation-ridden Austria. And I'm joined by my colleague, David Clement, who's in Toronto. We were together, uh, united once more uh, in the sands of Dubai and we promised a show to the folks, and uh, we failed. We did. But, uh, fail. I think that's because we enjoyed uh, we we enjoyed a little bit too much of the consumer choice there in Dubai. What do you think? Yeah, we we may have we may have overindulged. Um, but yeah, what a what a trip! What a city! What a um, definitely totally not what I expected uh, in terms of Dubai. Actually, the city. Um, yeah, I mean... So you got I'm, to see Dubai a bit more than I did. Yes. Uh, I just kind of flew in, went to our locale, which was a bit outside. Yeah, what were your kind of uh, initial thoughts? Uh, you know, you're normally a snow dweller, and then you were a you know sort of a sand and uh, desert dweller. How'd that go? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the city is basically like any modern Western city, but on steroids, um, in terms of like what's there and the architecture and... Uh, everything it's built very much in the opposite of some cold weather major cities so like in toronto you have the path so you can navigate most of the downtown core in 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 any weather but specifically in the winter um, without having to go outside and they have the the inverse of that um, obviously for the heat when it's very hot um, yeah i just learned a lot about how the city has come a long way in terms of um, like the protections they have for expats, their openness to alcohol, which is, I mean, pretty, pretty liberal, um, things like that. So it wasn't, it was not what I, w- I expected, uh, in a good way. Um, yeah, just a very, very interesting place. Um, obviously it helps yeah, having no, so uh, a mixture. no income tax. Oh, oh, well, of course. <laughs> That's a whole other part yeah. of consumer choice. Hey. Uh, yeah, and definitely having so many people from different parts of the world. I know there's, you know, there are a lot of Brits there. There's a lot of Pakistanis, uh, Indians, uh, all, all types of different people who've migrated there. And, you know, it has been a trend throughout the pandemic, uh, not to talk about the uh, the measures or restrictions. Uh, apparently, Germany actually just voted down the uh, vaccine mandate in the parliament, which is uh, very good. But, you know, there are a lot of people who are flocking there because the restrictions were not as heavy uh, as they were in Europe and uh, North America. And, uh, I guess, uh, much like our colleague Fred, some of them decided to stay and make a life and doesn't look too shabby, not too bad. I guess you can wear shorts pretty much all year, which I know we're both jealous of. And I, and I got to golf in the night, which was pretty cool, under the stadium lights. So you don't get to do that every day. Um, that was a big plus for me. You do not get to do that every day. No. If you guys want to hear more uh, golf tips uh, from David and hear all about that, you guys can... <laughs> Uh, send over some support if you find some value in the program uh, using your modern podcast app. Uh, if you're listening afterwards on Fountain or Breeze, uh, you can actually subscribe to podcasts there. And you got a little mm-hmm. little Bitcoin wallet. You can uh, send us you know a, a dollar or two in Satoshi's uh, if you find value in the program. 
The oh, only other um, one unique offering that we have. Yeah, the only other golf talk I have to get in for for anyone who enjoys golf. Um, the Masters this is a Tiger yeah revival. the Masters so and Tiger is back, baby. And uh, I th- I I think like the whole golf world is just like oh, Tiger's back, and I can only imagine what that means for. The rest of the golfers playing, being like, "Oh man, Tiger's back!" <laughs> so um, that well, I just hope they won't let him drive the golf cart as my only wish, right? <laughs> yeah, well, those are speed limited, so I think he'll be okay. <laughs> he won't have any troubles. Yeah, we've got a governor. Uh, that's good, a governor. Well, David, we got a, a couple of things to get to. I know it's been a busy week, um, not just for us returning back to uh, our respective cities, uh, but also, you know, there's a lot of stuff moving and shaking uh, with governments, with policies. Uh, I guess we'll start a little bit with uh, what is happening in Canada. I believe the budget uh, is the big budget unveiling day, and it will feature one of your big topics right now, something that is impacting a lot of Canadians, a, a lot of people, I mean, generally across North America and, and across Europe as well, uh, affordability of housing. Yeah, yeah. Um, How's that looking? Not great, not great. I mean, the, the whole, so for listeners to put this into perspective, the problem is we have a chronic undersupply of housing. So nationally, Canada ranks last in the G7 in terms of housing units per um, 1,000 people. Uh, Ontario is well below the national average, so Ontario is even worse. So, like, Ontario needs 650,000 new homes of any shape or size um, to get to the national average, which is the worst in the G7. Um, So it's pretty dire. And so what I'm looking for in this budget is very aggressive ways to increase the housing supply because that's the problem. And... What's happened is we've gotten a series of demand-side restrictions. So, like, one, they're going to ban blind bidding, which is the the normal process for how people buy um, homes in this country, Um, although there's nothing stopping people from going to an auction style. Um, I mean, this is problematic, one, because all of the economists who work on this have basically said, like, in a seller's market you're going to get this this crazy boost in pricing because there's just not enough units. It doesn't matter whether people are bidding against each other blind or bidding each other against each other in an open auction. There's no evidence to suggest that one system lowers prices or depresses prices versus the other. But the real problem with it is it just it it's tinkering with demand. It does nothing to increase supply. They did the same with um, this prospect of foreign buyers ban, although I will say at time of um, recording, it is not 100% confirmed that they're going to do that. But if they did, I mean, regardless of the merits, it does nothing to increase the supply of housing. They're just tinkering with demand. And the only supply side that they've really focused on is they earmarked a bunch of money for municipalities to grow quicker than the historical average, uh, which is a pretty low bar. Um, that's the first problem. It's a low bar. Uh, two, they're giving money to the very institutions and, and, and government bodies who have fought development to the nail and are really the problem here. It does nothing about zoning and even their best estimate 
states that like the the four billion they're earmarking is gonna boost the housing supply by a hundred thousand units. Well, rewind forty five seconds. Ontario alone needs six hundred and fifty thousand just to get to the national average. So this is a blip um, on the radar. It will it will make almost no impact in terms of of creating a more open um, housing market so that people of my generation can finally be able to afford something. Um, so, I mean, and do you think, uh, do you think the terms YIMBY or NIMBY will ever find their way somehow into a federal budget? Do you think, cause that, that is something that I know you've discussed before is that the, the federal government is reacting, you know, where they can within the power that they have, but much like throughout the U S most of the housing and permitting and all that is, it's at the city level, municipal level. Uh, the local level, and there ain't too much the federal government can do. But you know, until we see Yimby and NIMBY become like kind of normal. Yeah, I mean, I, I not yet, but as as millennials, as our generation becomes the voting cohort, I think you will probably see that creep into the political dialogue. Um, I mean, very soon we will be the largest voting block um, that there is. We will be as the boomers have been in elections pro- uh, previous, the, the kind of target voters. The the issue I have, and I've been getting this on Twitter, where people will respond to my suggestions on housing and be like, well, well that's, not, um, that's not in the federal government's jurisdiction. Well, neither is health care, neither is dental care, neither is a lot of the, a lot <laughs> of the things that the Trudeau government... Is, Basically yeah, everything. I mean, yeah. you, you can't... I mean, this is... You know, People tweeting me would be like 30 seconds prior tweeting about how great it was that Trudeau is going to create this dental care program. And it's like, that is not even remotely close to federal jurisdiction. (laughs) And it's like, okay, so clearly that's out the window. And if that is out the window, I mean, we have this extraordinary problem. Um, The average home price, I mean, I think... In the greater Toronto area, you have to make over one hundred and thirty grand uh, to buy the median condo, the average condo, um, and that's obviously a problem if you're going to start a family because most of these condos are one or two bedroom, and so that's a huge problem, especially in the context of the average uh, couple income in the greater Toronto area is something like ninety five thousand dollars. So there's a huge gap there, where the average um, the average person or the average couple is like forty grand a year off of being able to buy the average condo, and it's like, I mean, how is this even remotely sustainable in any way? Well, it's just because of the people from Hong Kong coming in buying up houses, David. Don't you know? I mean, that's the other thing we see is a lot of people blaming immigrants, and it's like, ah, uh, no. Um, there certainly are. Uh, some examples, specifically in BC, where wealthy Chinese people will buy uh, homes and let them sit, sit empty, and that's a problem. But if you really want to stick it to, we, let's call them foreign investors, right? Why are they doing that? Why are they buying housing and letting it sit? Well, because they know the price is going to appreciate. How do you stick it to those people? You build more homes. You put some downward pressure on prices. Um, I mean, think about what it takes. Think about the housing market and how ridiculous it has to be for you to buy a home 
have no return on it and just eat the tax bill um, from the municipality every year. Um, but you can you can do that in today's market when housing prices are going up 18, 25, 28% year over year. I mean, for the average Canadian, let's say you're of our parents' age and you purchased a home, your home value appreciation from 2021 to 2022 was like 1.5 times your salary. You made more on your house than you did working, um, which is just another statistic to show you just how out of control this is getting. No, it's fairly bogus. And, and even if we just go back and look at, look at some of the newspaper clippings, you know, just from the, the 60s and 70s, at least before 1971, you could see just how much many of these homes were in comparison to the incomes. And, you know, is this something that you could achieve not just in your lifetime, but in the first five or six years of working, you'd have enough to buy half a house, more than that. And I think, you know, there's not enough blame on many of the governmental policies. There's not enough blame on inflationary policies and certainly not at many of the the people who say, not in my backyard, we don't need another building, we don't need another apartment, we're just going to zone all the housing to be exactly the same no changes, no one else will be invited in. Uh, we are seeing, you know, there are some areas in uh, different parts of the U.S. and Canada that have a bit more open zoning. You know, I'm thinking of something like Houston to where people are able to build a lot more and these places are huge. People are able to to have homes. They don't necessarily have the uh, public transportation links, but, you know, that's a whole other issue and there's a good constituency online of people who are uh, all in on, on having much more uh, to do with public transportation, but this will keep going on. I'm surprised how much there is a focus on this, particularly in Canada. We, I mean, we have it dispersed throughout the U.S. You hear it a lot more in some place like uh, California, obviously. You're hearing it a bit more in Texas, uh, but I, the helpful thing about Texas is that a lot of the lawmakers there understand the issues, tend to be on the side of development, want to grow, um, it, it's just about, you know, trying to get enough investment. And uh, oftentimes, if, if you're a developer, you can go make a house in California. You know, you can, you can make five times however much you invested in. Oh, of course. Why not? You know, they don't really care what's going on, on the other end. So, yeah, housing is going to be a big thing. I know we'll be talking about it uh, a lot more here on this program uh, as well as many others because, man, uh, it's an ongoing issue and it's it's creeping into politics. We're seeing it as, as part of the uh, the leadership race there on the conservative side a good amount. So we'll be able to talk about that a lot more uh, coming up here on Consumer Choice Radio. Plenty more to come. Uh, We'll get some stories from Dubai in, talk a little bit at the inflation numbers and some of the general craziness out there, David. And I think um, I've got a little little bit of an antidote uh, that I'll tell you about once we're back. Okay. All right. Stay right here. And we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, we heard David ranting and raving uh, about housing in the in the first segment. We'll be talking a lot more about that. You guys can go check out uh, some of David's articles that came out recently as well about this topic. Uh, you'll you can read those. We'll put those in the show notes over there, consumerchoiceradio.com, so you can get more of that. David, I got a clip for you. I, there's a lot of stuff that has come across the news wire uh, here at the Consumer Choice Center desk, and I figured, you know, we might as well just. Uh, See what a, a, a good congressman who is also looking at the news, he's also stuck on Twitter, what he kind of thinks of what's going on. 
Are you ready for this clip? Okay, let's hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is uh, Representative Adam Kinzinger, I believe from Illinois. So I'm back in D.C., and what a historic time, obviously. You know, I look at this, and I, and, I mean, I, I'm in here looking at a minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, who hasn't really said a word about his members that have shown Putin sympathy. I, I never could have imagined my party would not just even have somebody that's showing Putin's sympathy, but would not vomit them out if they rose their ugly head. You know, we have people like Tucker Carlson, in essence, just asking questions, that's his thing, you know, about whether or not the CIA did, you know, frame all these atrocities we're seeing in Ukraine. And then the latest outrage of the day is some woke thing on Disney or whatever it is, you know, Dr. Seuss we've moved on from. I got to tell you, we've got a bunch of children in this job. We've got a bunch of people that sit around. The world order is being challenged for the first time since World War II. And they're sitting around thinking today about how we can win our next election, what the newest outrage is, what's the next thing we can do to get people angry and upset and get their money from them for our re-election. We are being governed by a bunch of children, by a bunch of people that are not serious about running the United States of America and truly don't understand the threat that's out there from Vladimir Putin, from China, and from some of these actors in the world that want to destroy our place here. I mean, there is a genocide going on in Ukraine, and the outrage is over what's happening in a Walt Disney you guys deserve way better. I mean, I'm glad I'm leaving here in a year because I'm just being surrounded by a bunch of children. So let's grow up. And I hope my party can finally remember where our foundations are and actually say that we're not going to be Putin sympathetic anymore. Wishful thinking. Ooh, that's, yeah, um, I had a piece in there about Dr. I mean, I think Seuss. I mean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty accurate. I mean, the state of the Republican Party now is like, there are not many good ones left. Um, And it's crazy because like uh, 2012 me would be screaming into the microphone hearing 2022 me say this. But like Mitt Romney is kind of rising to the top of the field. He's like the, the, the good Republican. Um, and what, how, oh, how times have changed in terms of how he was originally treated by everyone. Um, and it's like Mitt Romney yeah, Adam is, Kinzinger, is not, uh, not necessarily my favorite representative. He's, he's always been very, uh, trigger happy on the war machine. Uh, he's generally been right on, on Ukraine. He's been much more, I, I would say forcible than, than many other people, certainly, mm-hmm. uh, in power. Yeah. I would say that he... Uh, I don't know too much about him economically, but I feel like he would probably be, be relatively solid. Um, I think he was probably misguided um, a lot on the war on terror in terms of the length of the the war in Iraq and Afghanistan and all of that jazz. But he is certainly dead on. Um, he's certainly correct for uh, what's going on in Ukraine and calling out his party for all this weird kind of regurgitation of Tucker Carlson's talking points. And I mean, I don't know. It's it's like, if this isn't the line, is there one? Like, can you really just do anything uh, or he say anything? He speaks to something and... else that I 
Uh, he speaks to something else I really like as well. And I saw a, uh, sorry to be Twitter-centric again, but I actually saw a, uh, a tweet, and I believe it was an article by Megan McArdle. So she's a columnist at the Washington Post, uh, but she's kind of a part of the consumer choice gang, uh, philosophically. And she was kind of making the point that, you know, a lot of the major institutions, you know, pride themselves on having their journos and their influencers, you know, very active on Twitter. Uh, but actually, you know, this is not, it's not the real world. And if we're governed by what's happening on these particular platforms, that's not necessarily good for discourse, for good ideas getting to the top, for actual understanding about people's problems, people's lives, and what government can or should not do. And in a way, it's, it, it is this elite center where people are exchanging ideas and think they're having impact. But, you know, when you have 65 likes on a tweet, that does not mean that they've really read what you've said or if it's an article that they've read it at all. And it's more just oh, a yeah, constant yeah. virtue signal thing. And, you know, I obviously see it much more now in the Bitcoin space where it's, yeah, it's even worse. Of but. I find it very difficult. I know there's a lot of people who might be listening, you know, on the radio, haven't touched the stuff, don't want to get near the, you know, the Twitter sphere, Twitter bubble. Um, all the more power to you. Wish I could say the same. Can't do it with the job that we do because we do have to reach out to these people every once in a while. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a different reality. And that's why it's important for us as consumer advocates to get out into the world a bit, to talk to people about what's actually happening, how they're impacted by things. Uh, there are things that are being done in the legislature all the time that are impacting your life, raising your taxes, banning a particular product, making it more difficult for you to live your life, to run your business, to just be an informed consumer. Uh, that's uh, just my my side rant. Yeah, just remember, Twitter's not real. It's not real life. It's not real, even if Elon buys it and brings back Trump or something like that. You know, you think these people would... And you, you see elect people who are elected, who represent constituencies of over, you know, four or 500,000 people who are spending their time talking about how Trump needs to get back on Twitter. You got, you got stuff to do. Like, isn't you know, anybody... I'll, I'll slam down AOC all day, but she actually goes to her district and does stuff. <laughs> I mean, isn't anybody embarrassed when they're tweeting this stuff? Like, and, and I'm quoting Sebastian Maniscalco, the, I can't do the accent, but the comedian. It's like, aren't you embarrassed? When it's like your 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 Twitter theme as a congressman or congresswoman for the day is to get Elon Musk or to get Trump back on Twitter, and it's like there are bigger fish to fry here. It's like I understand you can walk and chew gum, but some of these uh, elected representatives appear um, to be, to not be able to do either. And then on the AOC note, I mean, policy wise, she's not. Uh, She's not in our wheelhouse, but I, it, it's incredible to see her progression in terms of she, I, I would say she very much was like Trump in the early days, um, different policies, but very surface level. And she kind of embodied all of this. And now when I see like the con some of the content she puts out when she answers questions, she's like very well read on the briefings, like she's well versed on how to like the threats of cyber attacks from Russia and she's in in the foreign policy discussion and in it in a way that's not like the the crazy ideological nonsense that we're seeing it's like okay well she has has 
not to sound paternalistic, but she has grown up in terms of like her approach to politics. She's, she still may be wrong on a bunch, uh, a bunch of things, but she's now like a formidable, like policy person. And so many on the Republican side are just like in it to own the libs. And how do I fire off hot memes? And it's like, (laughs) come on guys, like you have a job to do. And Europe is under threat and inflation is skyrocketing and we have all of these ESG that like the time is now for the Republicans to be good and they they are disappointing us on many fronts. Yeah, I think you'll find that on this program, I mean, there's a lot of talk radio uh, chatter about AOC and how terrible she is and everything else. I, I very much agree. I think she's she actually is a very good uh, firecracker, uh, very good at calling attention to her issues, of which we will probably disagree. She's had a little bit of Yimby, uh, so she's been a little bit on the, you know, Yimby gang. Uh, unfortunately, she she dips her toe a bit too much into social housing, government housing, and I, I have I happen to have about eight of those buildings around me, so I can tell you a bit more about that. But she had one, I just had to pull this from her Instagram stories, because uh, we can't do too much praise. But uh, she was watching this show, I believe it's on Netflix, about Is It a Cake?, Oh yeah, I've seen this. It's it's actually hilarious. (laughs) All right. Well, she apparently was watching this too, and you know she throws in pop culture, you know, stuff to connect with the youngins again. And uh, her whole point was that look, if you know you're biting in or you're looking at it, you know it's a cake, but you know that if you say it's a cake, the person I guess loses. I I haven't seen it, but and then her whole thing is she just just puts on the socialist goggles and says, well, if I was a judge, I would just say none of those are cakes because who am I to keep somebody from $10,000? They all deserve it. Oh, God. <laughs> That's not the show. It's like the participata- whole point of the show is it a, I didn't even watch it, but... Participa- participation it trophies for everyone. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of boiling that down to that, and it's, it's just crazy, and I know we all have our, our different passions and things that we're driven by and you know for us i think doing the work that we've done the last couple of years we were much more tuned uh to when consumers are getting screwed and we can kind of see that for her it's just about you know the revolution uh, uh always yeah, i know not good and, i mean she uh, should just leave leave the giveaways to oprah that's the oprah show and that's where people get all sorts of free stuff that's the, that's the giveaway show. Oh yeah, but at least show. with Oprah, you know, it's an audience. It's it's not the entire population of a country. <laughs> that's its own thing. You get a car. Yeah, so, you uh, get a car, and you get a car. <laughs> she's she's got a lot of uh, you know policy wins uh, under her belt lately. She has taken a lot of the uh, credit for uh, yet again the student loans being extended. Uh, I'm not. I don't have yeah, any of these bo- student bogus, loans in the U.S., bogus. but I, I have friends who do. And uh, just terrible policy. Big bailout to the middle class, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just terrible policy because it's... Uh, I mean, the postponement is... And the prospect of canceling it is just a huge wealth transfer from those in the middle upper tier on the socioeconomic ladder. Like, wealth transfer from those at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder to those in the middle upper tier of the socioeconomic ladder. You have working class people who never went to college or university who don't have that debt, who then as taxpayers foot the bill. And it's like, well, that doesn't seem right. 
Then you have those people who did go to college and university who have already paid off their loans. They're not getting a rebate for that. Um, so it's like you're punishing them for being financially responsible. They do nothing to reform the the student aid model, um, which is incredible. I mean, it's completely divorced from reality in terms of like, if it was a true loan, you're not going to get $300,000 from a bank to get a degree in basket weaving. Um, but as soon as you line up for some of those federal dollars, beep, <laughs> you're good. And then obviously you leave school and you're never going to be able to pay that back. And in the U.S., you can't oh, yeah. uh, you you can't default on it. And my understanding is you can't die either. Um, so it doesn't go away when you die <laughs> either. And it's like, oh boy. Nope. Well, the important thing to know is the money goes from the plumbers to the professors. Goes yeah, from the working that's actually. People yeah, that's a the, very good way to, to the put learned it. class. Yeah, very good way to put it. I have probably read that somewhere, so that's not original. <laughs> but yeah. So there's a lot of this going on. I mean, um, probably um, next segment we can talk a little bit more, but the inflation stuff is starting to pinch real hard. Uh, I just got a message from a friend of mine who, uh, you know, he's sort of in the business world, you know, does a lot of selling, reselling of products. Apparently, um, for one of his supply, uh, like kitchen tools, there is a 45% increase from month to month. Oh. So that's at the source Just level. So he's going to have to raise his. I mean, he can't raise his price forty five because he's you know consumer facing. But somewhere that's that needs to be recouped. And you know, I think in in Austria we just got the numbers today uh, from one year ago. We've seen uh, the increase in uh, energy prices uh, around twenty six percent alone. So things aren't looking good. Ukraine ain't helping. Uh, definitely a lot of government policies are not helping right now. Oh, yeah. Much more to come on that. You guys keep listening to Consumer Choice Radio. We'll be back with some of our anger coming up. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio uh, here across North America. We're on Saga 960 AM in the Toronto area on Big Talker Network. Uh, down there in North Carolina, and uh, right there in your podcast app. We've covered housing. We've covered some of the stuff, the comings and goings of uh, the war in Ukraine. And uh, I mentioned the statistic before, David, about uh, inflation, particularly in Austria, uh, around energy, around uh, basically a 26% increase. I mean, look, luckily, I do not uh, pay for electricity in my current situation. Uh, Just very lucky with uh, how it works out with the lease. Uh, mention how I say a lease and not a mortgage, you know, housing, same, yeah, same problem. Got to tip your <laughs> landlord. <laughs> uh, yeah, he'll he'll probably, I might have to give him some of that Bitcoin I've been mining. Uh, but I think another thing to think about here is, you know, that is just now, you know, that's just right now. And we're still, we still have a war in Ukraine. We still have, uh, particularly Germany, tripping over itself when it comes to energy. And uh, I think we talked about it two weeks ago, but I did love to see when Joe Biden was in Europe, uh, you know, might have said some weird things about how we got to take Putin out. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that was slip of the tongue, if it was on purpose. There was a lot of cleanup job on that. Uh, but, you know, his sales job of uh, trying to get American gas, yep. uh, American oil over to the European continent, I found that was good. Uh, there was not enough praise, I think, from, from many media commentators. Uh, most of them are opposed to energy anyway. They just want to live with their wind farm. 
But I thought that was that was good. We need more of that. In contrast with what the, our federal government in Canada has not done, I mean, Pierre Polyev has said, well, I mean, obviously we have it's like a trillion tons or so. I don't I don't know what the me- the measurement is of of uh, LNG capacity here. We just don't get any of it abroad. Maybe we should. And one of the liberal MPs is like, Europe doesn't even want it. <laughs> He's like the Europeans have never asked. It's like you know we asked and they just weren't they weren't into it. Yeah, and it's right. like oh you don't know anybody in Europe. <laughs> you don't know anyone in Europe. So I I thought about this, I thought about this as well because often when we talk about this, I was always very confused when I started out as a as a young clean fresh a bushy tailed journo, and I would hear about you know the the president making some some trade deal and the government's talking about oh we got you know we were able to get this and that and it's like well all this stuff is actually made by private companies and i realize that when you're talking about these large projects whether it's energy or let's say weapons systems or something the reason the government is so involved is because the regulations are so terrible that they kind of have to be so they kind of have to green light everything so if you're going to start exporting energy well that's a permit uh, if you're going to build a new facility, that's a permit. So it's no wonder that we can't have free and open trade between, let's say, Canada and your. We can't even pass the dang free trade agreement that's they've talked about for a decade. But <laughs> you know, have this idea of just exporting that, and the, the guy who you know runs the facility in, in Newfoundland or whatever calls the guy in Germany. He says, "Hey, what says, do you hey, need? Uh, man, we're getting a boat. You better you better build that thing." Yeah, I mean, that would be it in a perfect world. Um, but we see this all the time. I see that I saw that with the renegotiation of NAFTA and like all of the terms. And I always looked at it being like, it really shouldn't be that complicated. It's like, oh, okay, is your stuff from the U.S.? Yes. Was it made in the U.S.? Yes. Okay, you're good. Go through the border. It's not bad things like guns. No. Okay, you're good. Okay, go, go, go. Um, and it's like, percentages and quotas and it's uh, it's all very strange uh to me i think if i had it ordered uh, i ordered some canadian products uh, recently some electronics and i had to pay a pretty hefty duty and um i think it's a different category if i ordered some you know quebec cheese <laughs> and had it ordered in my house i would it would have been a totally different tariff maybe it would have been less I, I, probably a lot more actually knowing europe but it's this kind of stuff to where every lobby gets their hand in there they figure out what is what is the best deal for them. It's not just free trade, open trade. Because again, we don't need to have Joe Biden as a salesman or Trudeau as a salesman. They're there to just, you know, put the rubber stamp down. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that just goes back to like, what's the proper role of government? <laughs> it Because we've distorted it for so long. We're now in this situation where Joe Biden has to go and carry the banner for for U.S. oil and gas. And it's like, I mean, I think it's great that he did it, but it's just a shame that we've gotten to this point where it's like they got to be the cheerleader uh, abroad. Uh, Although I will say my favorite Joe Biden moment from his trip in Europe was uh, he was speaking and it was it was kind of like vintage Joe Biden a little bit like old Joe came back. He's got the unbuttoned shirt. He's not wearing a tie. And uh, he starts to cough. And he, like, turns his head from the mic and he's coughing. And you can see the crowd be like, oh, like, does he have COVID? Is he okay? And he goes, oh, don't worry, guys. 
don't worry guys i was i'm fine i'm fine i uh i had a meeting with the troops earlier and i had a pizza pie with some spicy peppers on it <laughs> and it's like uh spicy pie. well you can't do too much spicy if you're if you're that old you shouldn't be doing too much spice yeah you gotta be careful um, so i want to talk about a guy uh a guy that was on your radar a few years ago, okay. a bit more on our radar, and who made an appearance at the uh, Bitcoin Miami conference. Ooh, very, very, very it. bad, but he's still better than the guy who brings every conversation around to Bitcoin. <laughs> All right, so I, I, well, I don't have a clip, but this is uh, Kevin O'Leary. Oh, yeah. A Canadian-American yes. businessman uh, who made his, uh, made a, so he was, I believe, I think he was the keynote. I think he was the keynote for day one Probably. of Bitcoin 2022, yep. sort of the big uh, conflab. And uh, he spoke about regulation, David, talked about crypto regulation. Uh, he talked specifically about legalizing stable coins, okay. which um, many of the audience are not too hot on. Uh, but stable coins are essentially a digitized uh, version of a cryptocurrency that are backed by typical reserves of U.S. dollars. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, the most sort of well-known are the USDC and uh, the Tether coin. And... Uh, you know, you, you saw him up there discussing it, talking about it. He was hammering on about a bill that has been introduced in the U.S. Senate on this. I looked at the bill. It seems okay. This is not just going to unleash yeah. a bunch of innovation, but it will probably get the big money guys a bit more into it. But again, stable coins are just a way, you know, a sort of crypto protocol that is backed by the U.S. dollar. And most of these people who are looking at the inflation numbers, who are thinking about ways they can kind of opt out of the system, they're not really thinking about a system backed by the dollar. No, no, me. no, they're not. Well, it was like the response to Pierre Polly had basically said, like, you know, wow, Bitcoin is like an opportunity for people to opt out of inflation. And the, the media in Canada had a panic attack. And um, Evan Solomon, who I have a lot of respect for, I, I don't, that, my criticism on this is not towards him, but he asked the former uh, governor of the Bank of Canada about it, and he was like, "No, Pierre's comments are ridiculous. Like, you can't really pay for things in Bitcoin. It's too volatile." And it's like, you've just fallen into like the the most perfect Bitcoin trap for anyone who's ever had this conversation. It's like, yeah, that's a for now problem. Um, yes, with volatility, it can be problematic ish to be paying for everyday goods um with bitcoin but uh that is a for now problem and anyone who is in the space can see some sort of future where um where that volatility as as the supply continues to decrease the new supply continues to decrease um state like starts to stabilize in some sense and then the flip side which i believe you shared on twitter was like the inflation of the canadian dollar <laughs> um over the last x period of time it's like oh it's not great either uh, much more stable yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and um to get to get a bit uh, inside baseball there is this new protocol that was just released actually this week called taro mm -hmm. Uh, so it's actually over the Bitcoin Lightning Network, and uh, you can actually attach any asset you want, including dollars, including stable coins, and you can trade using the Bitcoin Network. Uh, so that's being worked on. Probably won't be a consumer application for at least a couple of months. But man, innovation is happening, and that's why we got to get on board. Uh, not necessarily, you know, the Kevin O'Leary wants it. 
Uh, he actually is a not a I'm not going to say a big fan of ESG of environmental and social governance, uh, but he he understands that that is the the main game that's playing out on Bay Street and Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. Our um, one of our fellows had a great op-ed on this on ESG. Relating it to inventing Anna, which is the great scam uh, uh, show on Netflix about a, a a young woman who scammed her way through millions of dollars, um, and basically the premise is is once once you start just chasing clout, which is what you could argue she was doing, um, the whole system falls apart, and that's the concern on the ESG side is if you are just chasing clout. Um, then the whole the 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 entire price signal model which drives the market just dissolves and that creates some very very bad uh, very bad outcomes and then multiply that by the fact that you have inflation and you get some very ugly politics both left and right that emerge from economic turmoil um, I would say le- far right populism far left populism um, the type of uh, of junk you see uh, over time, historically, when you have this type of economic turmoil, it is not pretty, um, which I think is like the, my macro concern for all of this is um, when things get ugly, they get ugly fast, and usually what what pulls itself out of the rubble of that economic calamity is um, not something many of us would cheer for in terms of policy and um, politics. So, uh, let's try and avoid that at all costs. Definitely. And that's an article by our fellow Dr. Kimberly Josephson, which I would very much recommend. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got a lot of, it's been translated a lot too. She's done well with yep. that. So apart from that, uh, I guess other consumer choice news, I mean, we might as well talk about it. We do have a bill that was passed by the house of representatives in the U S to technically deschedule cannabis. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, um, introduced by Jerry Nadler, Democrat from New York, which I think tells you all you need to know. <laughs> Not the biggest fan of this bill. Uh, obviously, we're bigger fans of uh, the States Reform Act by uh, Representative Nancy Mace from South Carolina. But, you know, it's a step. I think if you actually read the bill, most of it has to do with essentially denial of federal benefits, tax programs, grant programs, equitable licensing, licensing, cannabis opportunity program. This is it's not the right bill that you want if you want to create a good functioning legal market with competition. It has everything to do with righting wrongs of the drug war, which I think we'd both agree with, but it's just not enough cuz it's just going to be I I don't know how to say this correctly, but a diversity racket and there will be a lot of very expensive consultants who will be leading this and ordinary people who would like to be entrepreneurs who perhaps have you know faced uh, charges in the past you aren't going to be at the front of the line guys i'm sorry yeah yeah it's it's, it's complicated it's better than prohibition um but it's not better than a more open market i mean if, and if anything we've learned from from Canada, um, the provinces who have private retail and have been more open and uncapped the market have have done better 
than the provinces who have done like the state-run model or significantly limited things or not allowed for delivery and all of that nonsense, all of those kind of silly policies that get wrapped into it. And so um, better than prohibition, but uh, what Nancy Mace has been working on is, is certainly much uh, much better than that. Yeah, and there's all kinds of stuff in there about trust funds. And, uh, you know, the tax section is obviously the absolute biggest. Uh, it could easily be one line, but, uh, you know, this is a, this is the Democrats we're talking about in the House. Uh, so the, we know we can't have that. Yeah, brutal. Yeah, we'll be following that. Uh, hopefully we can have on uh, some more experts. I know next week, Dave, we'll be talking a little bit more about housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably going to have a very good guest there. Uh, we're going to try to cover that issue a lot more because it is impacting a lot of people, particularly people our age. Obviously, both of us are slumming it in our apartments at the present. <laughs> uh, we'd love to see some change there. But uh, overall, you know, I'm, I'm feeling optimistic, a bit hopeful. Mm-hmm. It's getting warmer. Yeah, yeah. Have a birthday. Get, Things are looking Getting up. warmer. Happy Masters weekend um, to all those who observe that holiday, uh, as I do. Um, and, yeah, until next week. Um, some great guests coming up and uh, more great programming coming to you on Consumer Choice Radio. Talk to you then. 